Hello and welcome to another episode of the Noise Podcast as part of the Noise Podcast Network. Today myself and Chris review the 16th Megadeth album, The Sick, The Dying and The Dead. It's out on 2nd of September and it's really, really, really good. Listen to us wax lyrical about the record and follow us on all available social medias. Please follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast Network. Um, at Noise UK, please like and subscribe to us on YouTube. Please listen to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Check the anchor link for wherever you get your podcasts, and also follow us on every relevant social media like Instagram, and Facebook, and all that good stuff. Thank you so much, and enjoy the episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 112 of the Noise Podcast, portal of the Noise Podcast Network, and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and as ever, I'm joined by my very good friend, and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are we? Can't be too bad on a day like today. Beautiful sunlight, Megadeth album. Let's get at it. Mate, let's get at it. Before we get into that, um, the best way to support us, the Noise Podcast, is by liking slash subscribing. Uh, we are available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, me and Sam will be there. That is absolutely the best way to support us. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast Network. Both me and Sam run that account. You can follow the General Noise Twitter account as well at Noise UK. On our last episode of the Noise Podcast, uh, we reviewed a new machine head record of Kingdom and Crane. We really Really, really enjoyed that, both of us. I think we said fifth best in their catalogue at 13 albums. So brilliant return to form for them. Uh, Please go and check that out if you are yet to. Uh, But Sam, you know what? Um, I'll usually do a little bit of chat, see how things are. I just want to get straight into this record, man. Should we just get going? Yes, please. Yes, please. Let's do it. Um, uh, the Sick, The Dying and the Dead is Megadeth, the Californian Thrash King's 16th, ridiculous, album out on September 2nd via UME Records. And it's the follow-up to the Grammy Award winning, interestingly, some of you may have forgotten, Dystopia, which was released in 2016. Uh, you know, this this part was probably predictable, Sam, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, the fact we've still got Machine Head, um, machine Head, just because I just said Machine Head, Megadeth, sorry, in the metal sphere um, is a wonderful thing. Uh, and above all else, I think we should just be happy about that alone. If we go back to the early 21st, early part of the 21st century, David Mustaine suffers his arm injury. He has to reteach himself how to play guitar. Ridiculous. And you'd think that would spell curtains for the band. Somehow it didn't. Uh, they've had a revolving door of members over their near 40-year history. Uh, I can't imagine they've ever had too much trouble finding guitarists who want to play with Dave Mustaine. But still, there has been a revolving door of members. And then obviously, most recently, uh, Dave was diagnosed with throat cancer, which thankfully he's doing remission for. And I'm just relieved he's still here, still playing. I think we should, we should just make comment on that first of all, Sam, that we've still got Megadeth releasing records in 2022 because uh, there were multiple scenarios over the past two decades where that could have been taken from us. No, you're absolutely right. I think... Um, I think having Dave Mustaine makes metal better. I think Dave Mustaine is one of metal's most vivid and most instantly recognisable characters, for better or for worse. He's been incredibly iconic over the last 40 years for his exploits in Megadeth, but also some of his some of his interviews and some of his commentary and all this sort of stuff. He's been one of metal's most... Um, one of the faces of metal is what, is what I'd like to describe him as historically. And, and, having, him, and having him still knocking around is wonderful. Obviously, you mentioned the conditions of um of his life over the last decade or two, the hand surgery, the cancer, the revolving members of doors. I mean, David Ellison 
Um, his longtime partner in, in crime at base is no longer with the band after like 20 years on and then a few years off and then he came back and then he's gone again. And um, you're right. I mean, one of the most interesting side plots in metal history is the list of players who, guitarists who played in Megadeth, but also nearly played in Megadeth. Um, yeah. There's um, Slash references nearly joining Megadeth in the late 80s during like a downtime for Guns N' Roses when he was hanging out with um, Dave Mustaine. Dave Mustaine famously asked Vinnie Paul to be the drummer in Pantera. Um, no, it was the other way around. He famously asked Dimebag Daryl to be the guitarist in Pantera, but refused um, when Dimebag asked if Vinnie Paul could come with him. And Mustaine was like, we've already got a drummer. <laughs> um, uh, imagine that, by the way, in the early 90s. That would have been pretty good, wouldn't it? Um, and it's just, there's been a rotating cast of guys over there. But yes, Dave Mustaine always the figurehead. And one of Thrashes and Metals and Music's um, greatest musicians. Megadeth are famously considered one of the, the big four of Thrash and Metallica, Slayer and Anthrax. But you know what, Sam? I had this kind of epiphany about uh, 25 minutes ago. I posted it on Twitter because it just quickly came to me. And now I want to ask you about it. I would say, is Dave Mustaine the best musician out of the big four? With perhaps Jeff Hanneman, the only one that would push him close? I think he is. Are we considering all past and all past members included? Because I'd like to nominate Dave Lombardo and Cliff Burton. Yeah, well, obviously, if, we're, if, if, I'm, if I'm counting Jeff Hanneman, I've, of course, I, I would count uh, Lombardo and Burton as well. Burton probably, actually, yeah, Burton probably would. Yeah, he's probably neck and neck really with Mustaine and Burton, isn't he? It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say if as talking, well. If we're talking oh, modern, if we're talking modern contemporary, I would say comfortably Mustaine. Including historically, I think it would probably be neck and neck between Mustaine and Burton because, and you know this more than me, but even like I'm aware that Burton was just a massive part of those that, those three uh, those three first Metallica records uh, in terms of like the, the the construction of them, how they sound, the things they do when they do them, especially Master of Puppets as well, which is obviously their greatest work. So yeah, it's probably neck and neck between Burton and Mustaine, but in modern day, I would say it's comfortably Mustaine. I think Mustaine, Mustaine is definitely the musician that's maintained somehow a stamina that no other thrash musician appears to have appears to have, have, have managed. Um, you listen to some of his recent works, including this record, and it's like he's not he's not got he's not aged. It's astonishing. Um, I would say it's it, it, it's tough, really. I think David Stein is the most talented, probably the most talented and most creative guitarist out of uh, of all of the all of the big four thrash bands. But then you start getting to like you split hairs. Is David Stein a better lead guitarist than James Hetfield is a rhythm guitarist? Is David Stein a better lead guitarist than Dave Lombardo was a drummer? And then you've got Cliff Burton hanging over it all because if you interview every single Mustaine, Hammett, Hetfield, Ulrich, um, people that have just seen him play, they will admit even now, oh like. James Hetfield was writing Battery, and he's considered Cliff Burton a god. Do you know what I mean? Like it was yeah, like yeah. that. Like it, that they just considered him like another worldly, like alien type figure. Um, but I think if you restrict it down to like the main figures in their band, um, and you look at like Mustaine, maybe you look at Kerry King, maybe you look at James Hetfield. Mustaine is probably comfortably the best technical guitarist out of the three of them. Yeah. That's probably that's probably where I sit as well. I, I, I was I immediately thought of Jeff Hanneman uh, pushing in close because I think that Ryan Blood's the the best thrash metal record ever written, and I think that 
Hanneman is probably the leading force on that album. Not taking anything away from Kerry King, of course, but Hanneman is the leading force on Raining Blood. And I think Raining Blood's the best thrash metal album ever. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever, it's, there's no way it's ever going to be touched. Um, so it's an interesting conversation. We could probably get into the semantics of on an episode <laughs> on its own. Um, I'm actually almost ashamed of myself that I, I didn't think of Cliff Burton. I think it's because I, I've got this thing where I, for better or worse, like ignore bassists sometimes. I'm like the classic meme of like the like uh, when the bassist tries to get with the girl and she's like, oh, you're the bassist. I'm not interested. Where's the vocalist? <laughs> uh, so yeah. Uh, that's I can't ashamed myself for almost forgetting Cliff Burton there, but yeah, it's probably neck and neck between Mustaine and Burton at the very least uh, in terms of modern day. Mustaine is comfortably out there. Uh, before we get into the actual record itself, Sam, I'm just curious of your top three uh, Megadeth records. I'd probably go Euthanasia third, Peace Cells second, and Rust in Peace at first. Uh, I, I'd imagine there's going to be some kind of I'd imagine Peace Cells is first for you and then Rust in Peace comes somewhere between second or third. Uh, go on. Uh, Rust in Peace is first, then it's Peace Cells. Oh, and then sick. It, yeah, and then it's Countdown to Extinction is third. Um, ah, interesting. Yeah, Countdown to Extinction, Symphony Destruction, Skin of My Teeth and Foreclosure of a Dream. That's what that's what sells it for me. Uh, Rust in Peace is perfect. Rust in Peace is the greatest thrash album of the 1990s. Megadeth are the best thrash band yeah, of the yeah. 1990s. It's not close. Um, like that, their ninety, their three albums: nineteen ninety, Rust in Peace, ninety two, um, Countdown to Extinction, and ninety four, Euthanasia. That's it, thrash metal band. That's it. That that that's the that's it for nineties thrash. That's as good as you're gonna you're gonna get really. Um, and they they're just a they're just a superb band. So yeah, those are those are my top three. Uh, my favorite Megadeth song is on Peace Cells in Wake Up Dead. Um, but like like. Like with Ride the Lightning, it doesn't make it a better overall album just because my favourite song's on there. Rust in Peace is perfect. So going into this album, The Sick, The Dying and The Dead, I had obviously come to the realisation it would be wild for me to expect something near my top three. But I figured, Sam, that we might get maybe a 13 or a So Far So Good. What were your expectations coming in? Yeah, that's a fair. That's a fair question. The thing is, though, Megadeth. My expectations are slightly higher than it would have been if Slayer had brought out an album, and and Anthrax. Maybe not. Maybe not Metallica because you're kind of hoping. But really, Megadeth have been the most consistent of the last decade, and I kind of know that they have the highest floor of any big thrash band as well. Um, if this is a bad Megadeth album by bad Megadeth album standards, this is probably still a six and a half out of 10 with some amazing intricate guitar work on there that I could at least hang my hat on and enjoy as a listening experience, even if the songs aren't necessarily there. And I would argue that's what Dystopia is. Dystopia is the is not a great album, I don't think. And at its best, it is a another sign of... Dave Mustaine's fantastic musicianship and there's always some great solos and some great songwriting. So I thought my expectations going into this record was at the very least, there's going to be like 12 great guitar solos on here and a few really good riffs. And that that's a higher floor than most bands um, with a career that length. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if we just before, again, I keep saying this, before we talk about the album, just, just quickly, with the exception of Super Collider and Risk, I think Megadeth, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard a bad Megadeth album. Super Collider is pretty whack. Uh, risk I, I could happily never listen to again uh, but I don't think I've ever really heard like a bad 
Megadeth album. And considering we're 40 years in nearly, that is saying something in 16 albums. And, you know, Megadeth have, have absolutely got their, their blueprints. I should I say Megadeth have got their blueprint. Dave Mustaine has very much got his blueprint. But what a blueprint. And like you, you mm-hmm. mentioned, like their run, their run in the in the early 90s, like from 90 to 95, ridiculous. Yeah. I it's it's splitting hairs really between euthanasia and countdown to extinction for me in terms of my top three and i i know that euthanasia uh, was a little bit some people find it a little bit great in how quote-unquote mainstream but it was there was something of a move towards a more kind of mainstream etiquette in the songwriting but I, I I really really like uh, euthanasia I think sweating bullets is just such an absolute banger um so as we get into this record, Sam, the one thing that I did just quickly want to point out, you alluded to it. Uh, David Ellison, long-time bassist, is no longer part of the band. Feel free to Google that scenario if you wish. However, the reason why I'm bringing this up is you would then expect the parts that uh, David Ellison would have recorded would have still been left on the on the masters, and then they would have wrote songs around that. However, uh, his bass parts were actually re-recorded for this album, I believe by Steve DiGiorgio from Testament. So just an interesting note there that actually there is no uh, imprint from David Ellison. Any, any, anyone knows whatsoever. anyone knows Dave Mustaine was not he's not remotely surprising <laughs> at all. So literally David Ellison, uh, despite laying down bass parts for this album previously, is not on it at all. His parts are re-recorded uh, by Steve DiGiorgio from Testament. Okay, Sam, let's go. Um I majorly uh, impressed with this album. I really, really dig it. I think with Machine Head, we said that Kingdom and Crown was best case scenario. I don't think this is best case scenario. I think it's a very good scenario. That's interesting. Is that because you have higher expectations for Megadeth because this album isn't as good in comparison to what Kingdom of Crown is for Machine Head? I feel like this album isn't as good in comparison to what Kingdom and Crown is for Machine Head, though. That is like a knock. I still think there's lots of absolutely really, really brilliant moments of musicianship of just classic Megadeth on this album. I just, I'll be honest, Sam, I prefer Machine Head as a band to Megadeth. So yeah, okay. That is, my, that, that's that is my central bias. That's my central bias aligning. As much as I love Megadeth, Megadeth, great band. So happy I saw them at Download with you a couple of months ago. And then I made mm. them after. What a day that was. Um, mm. I, I just, I, I prefer Machine Head as a band for me. So I would take Machine Heads of Kingdom and Crown over this. Uh, but that is absolutely no noxious. I think it's a really great, this is the best thrash album I've heard in years. Yeah, I, I completely agree. This is going to get top 10 album of the year consideration for me. I love this record. Um, it this is, is great. It is, it is absolutely tremendous. Um, from we talk, about, we talk about best case scenarios, talk about writing styles, talk about blueprints a lot and all this type of stuff. But for a band to say, <laughs> for Dave Mustaine to still sound this good vocally and on guitar yeah. is, is astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. It you're right that I have got a style. Um, but it's it still it still works. Like the title track to open this, that sinister guitar, the mm-hmm. cyclical technical riffs, um, Diverstein's voice just the thing is about Diverstein, which I give him massive respect for, he knows that he's not a strong vocalist. So he uses his voice almost the way that other bands use guitar solos and then he uses guitar solos the way that other bands use vocal melodies and he's just yeah, swapped yeah. it he's just swapped it round so the vocals are just functional 
Right, the vocals are just verse lines before you get to the bit that you're really here for. In the same way that guitar solos used to be used to give the vocalist a break before the big chorus kicks in. Damon Stan's like, you're not here for big choruses. You're here for guitar solos. They're the choruses. Yeah. And and that that's exactly what's going on here. So this is just this is just terrific. Um I didn't I didn't think the um the clean dystopia element of it with the nursery rhyme worked necessarily, but I thought that the following riff with the, this breakdown thrash shakeup was both melodic and anthemic, and it fades into this classic megadeth harmony, just absolutely like nailed on blueprint. This could have happened in 1992 and wouldn't feel out of place at all. Um, type of songwriting. It's 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 a really great start. From the moment this album opens, all the way through this record, are lots of little Easter eggs to like classic Megadeth sounds and styles, mm. which for me was a was a refreshing, almost nostalgic trip through the best of Megadeth. Which, considering that outside of Dave Mustaine, none of the other members were around for. He's kind of insane how he keeps finding people that are somehow able to fit in to his overall sound. It's extraordinary because you'd think with the amount of different members that at some point there'd be a Megadeth album that sounds a little bit different, but it absolutely doesn't that he's managed to sort of almost like Arsene Wenger, like used to find players that just perfectly fit into this like mold. And he just find this random dude from like Africa, this random guy from Asia. And so now they'd all fit together. It's like Samir Nasri and Sesk Fabregas suddenly like fit together. And they're from completely different areas. It's wild. And this is what's happening here. Like he's able to find all these different musicians and fit them together and produce this quintessentially mega death sound. And it works brilliantly. Chris, before we get into the rest of the album, some of the some of the songs in here are terrific. Oh, mate, absolutely. I mean, just just to back end off what you were saying there, if you just said to me, Chris, how do you want this album to open? I would have just said, I'd take a clean mid-tempo riff that builds to a thrash lick. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> it's really, <laughs> the, the opening of this album, the opening of this album is absolutely wicked. I love it. Uh, mate, there are some. We're going to go into more detail later on. Mate, there are some fantastic Megadeth songs on this album. I adore Mission to Mars. There's a moment at the end of Mission to Mars when we talk yes. about it. I'm not going to spoil. I'm not going to spoil for anyone. Any any Megadeth fan listening to this, I'm not going to spoil the coup of this moment on the album. Something very specific happens at an Easter egg to a previous Megadeth album. And it's the coolest thing. It's so sick. I love Mission to Mars. I love Killing Time. I've got big euthanasia vibes from that. I love Sacrifice as well. I was mega into Soldier On. I know that's one of the singles. I really like Soldier yeah, On. Too. I like Dave. I like Dave Mustaine when he's being like kind of satirical with his lyrics. I, I do like Dave when he's messing about a little bit. Um, and it, as, as we go into like the second track, uh, that's another one that I wanted to mention. Uh, Life in Hell opens quite differently to the uh, opening title track. It's got this high octane punching riff to open, but I've always liked kind of Dave's darker, um, darker lyricisms. And there's quite a lot of Dave's darker lyricism on this album. Um, the monologue about life being pointless, so you should absolve as many sums as you can. It's you know poignant for modern society as well as fascinating. And something that Megadeth do a lot that they do better than ninety nine percent of bands, especially all of the bands I can think off the top of my head. The way they quickly change tempo is unbelievable and they do it on this there's a quick tempo change that goes from a like a sliding thrash number to this like, kind of segment of spoken word hard rock and it's so good I, I, off the top of my head I cannot think so I would just say 99% of bands would love to do tempo 
power changes as well as Megadeth do. They're unbelievable at doing a tempo change. I completely agree. The way they can just shift style as well on 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 sort of a uh, on a dime, let alone just a temp, like let alone just slow to fast and faster slow. The way both the way just completely um, change that the, the whole structure of the song is is fantastic. I really like Life in Hell as well. There's a there's a brilliant groove in the middle with some great drums. Really easy to nod your head along to. It's a great beating heart through the song. Um, I like that they use solos, like guitar solos, as like after the first chorus, as like a way to break up the song and sort of kick into the second verse. Um, Night Stalkers featuring Ice T. Um, <laughs> yeah, this was a single. I remember being nervous when I heard about this. I was really nervous about it. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, actually, a great song that doesn't need Ice T at all. The 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 the, the the feature adds nothing. Like they actually <laughs> yeah. stop. They actually stop the song essentially. Play some atmospherics and sirens. He raps for eight bars, and then they go back into what the song was anyway. And the great, if you just took that out and fitted the two bits together, the song's sick. Like Ice T yeah. is just like the halftime entertainment in the midst of a great Super Bowl, and it just doesn't doesn't add anything. Um, but the ter- the, the, the 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 riff at the opening of this. Um, mm. just the bl- blistering thrash riff. It's just sensational. Um, and then it just reminds you once again that Davis Tanks is such a great writer of riffs. Oh, like mate. every every song has like three great riffs and three great solo sections. There's there's the acoustic section of this, which is really nice, really ambitious, and then kicks right into this nice little bit where the bass, this bass kicks, the bass riff kicks in, then the guitar mimics it. Back to this face, um, back to this fast pace riff, and then they do the old, um, old Megadeth Metallica trick where they kick back into like the, the, the like one of the opening verse riffs for the final section of the song, uh, and it's just like bordered on like prog thrash, which is really really cool. It's a, it's a it's a great song and really 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 enjoyable. Um, I I like the so much about this. I really really liked. Um, I thought the chorus on Dogs of Chernobyl is great. I thought that it's beautifully melodic and 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 there's like the the the, the half time with the cool solo was really really nice. Um I thought sacrifice is really good and really groovy. Um I think it I think it takes a t- takes a bit of um foot off the pedal a little bit with junkie and psych um psychopathy a little bit I think that was Yeah, well I wasn't a massive fan of junkie. I wasn't a massive fan of Junkie, but I think I think Junkie is also like a great signifier of what this album achieves in the sense of I think Junkie is the weakest track on the album, but it's not like a turkey's. It just no, happens no. to be the song with the least happening. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Dave's vocals get exposed a little bit by the tame, kind of tame lyrics, and there's much better riffs elsewhere on the album. <clears throat> As you've mentioned, everyone knows that Dave Mustaine, and himself included, isn't a tremendous vocalist. That's not what Megadeth are for. But I feel like when Dave's lyrics are very are really interesting and like thought-provoking, it kind of covers up the fact that he's not a fantastic vocalist, but on, mm. on Junkie, because the lyrics are kind of tame and it's, a, it's all a little bit silly. I feel like his vocals get exposed a little bit. Um, can I just quickly back, go back to Dogs of Chernobyl? Yeah, uh, the flamenco led intro uh, in yeah, front of like the emphatic rhythm section. Mate, I, I thought that was amazing. I was kind of hoping it would build into being like the thematic imprint for the song, which doesn't quite happen. But I just wanted to quickly mention that because I loved that that opening. So interesting. It's so interesting. It's also it's a nice change of pace from it comes in fourth. That does it's a nice change of pace. So like the very much like kind of standard progressive Megadeth songs up to that point. I loved that intro of Dogs of Chernobyl. I would I would agree. There's there's 
some lots of lovely moments just hidden in the midst of songs. Like I, I really like there's like a Mastodon esque riff and sacrifice at the end yeah. of it. That sort of Discord riff, it's really groovy. And then if you listen to Killing Time, um, you can actually hear Avenged Sevenfold stealing ideas from the chorus in Killing Time, uh, with this like yeah. snake like snake like riff with the chorus over the top. And then the the half time to finish is just fantastic. This great breakdown riff and really like this beautiful transition into the solos, really really great. Um, I, I know we talked. You mentioned that Soldier On is a single. Uh, I just want to mention it. it. It's it's terrific. The solo yeah, section, the harmony section at the end of this is fucking phenomenal it's really really great and then um sell you batante opens with like the best riff of motley Crue's career by the sounds of things um because it's got those like sort of big fucking like glam metal chords almost or like merciful fate kind of like um new wave of british heavy metal type stuff nice chunky riff in the middle section and then um we get to mission to mars so i'll hand the i'll hand the mic back to you for that well just just quickly Again, I'm sorry to go back to songs that you would or you've already spoken mm. about. Not Something I want to mention for Killing Time. I, I actually alluded to when I spoke about this about the songs on this album that I really liked. I got a big euthanasia vibes from Killing Time in terms of the verse chord progressions in particular, which which of course great for me. Uh, there's a lovely little change of tact in the middle eight as it takes a left turn, becomes more progressive and complex. And I feel like Killing Time is like a real musician song. If that makes sense, yeah. there's a guitar playoff. There's a guitar playoff between Dave and Kiko on this on Killing Time, and it's absolutely amazing. And one of the cool things is, it, I, I thought going into this album, I thought that the guitar playoffs, the guitar harmonies, would be really rammed down my throat to the point of, you know, we always mention this anecdotally about the great horror movies. You don't really see a lot of horror; it builds up to it. And I did kind of worry that with this you know the position that Dave was in in terms of using his voice we'd get a lot of guitar harmonies to the point where they could kind of be interchanged and we wouldn't know which one was which but actually play um guitar players between Dave and Kiko are actually quite rare on this album you don't hear a massive amount of them and there's one on Killing Time that's amazing and there's one on Soldier On which you were just referring to which is ridiculous as well and I love the fact that the guitar harmonies were used sparingly and weren't absolutely rammed down my throat I'm not sure if that's something you picked up on or made a note on but I, I loved how the playoffs between Dave and Kiko are done sparingly and usefully as opposed to there's one on every song because Dave's voice can't hold up and he needs something to fill the time. Yeah, I think that's very fair to say. I think the harmonies were used sparingly. I think the um the way these the way these songs have been constructed um really suits not only Dave Mustang's voice and longevity and stamina and all all that good practical stuff, but I think in actuality it's what best serves the music and the band and and the fan base mm. as well. Like it's it's coupled together. Um this is this is it, there are the moments in this where I'm like I'm impressed at the transitions. It doesn't feel clunky at all. Like it does feel a real smooth process where one thing nicely fits into the other, nicely fits into the other. The solos perfectly follow the chorus, and then the solo seems to lead to this nice breakdown. And the way that they transition from chord to chord um, is just is just tremendous. Um, I, I was really I was really really impressed with this. Um, I was really impressed with this album holistically, and. I watched a bit of the um I watched a bit of the Rogan interview with him. I don't know if you caught any of this. 
Um, we he, he's no, I, I, I'm, I've got the Chris Jericho interview lined up to watch next. I didn't know he did, he, he'd been on Rogan recently, yeah, last week, yeah. Oh, um, oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've only they've only put clips out at the moment. There's like an 11 minute clip of him talking about drug addiction, and there's like three minutes where Joe Rogan tries to bait him into talking about Metallica at length. Um, and he doesn't bite, and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And he 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 talks he, you know he talks about he gives the lines you know I, I you know I gave I gave this music and this music and said don't use my music and then they used it anyway so he's still a little bit like annoyed but like I was I was impressed actually and it brings me back to the album is that he appears to have got over that for the most part which I think is good for him and also everyone else in his life um he, that he appears yeah. to have put that he appears <laughs> to have put that to, he appears to have put that to bed uh, and I think that um. I think that maturity and that that sort of reflection is probably helping him out. And when you listen to this record, the fact he's carved out a career like this, and you listen to some of these records, listen to some of these songs, and how well put together some of these songs are, he should, apart from like, he should feel absolutely no bitterness and resentment about no longer being in Metallica. He's literally carved out and out uh, carved out a career on his own. Um, and all, and, and even most recently at the like at the fortieth year was brought out an album like this that is terrific and he's pretty much he is outlasted and he's he's considerably outwriting pretty much all of his contemporaries in this in this genre and that fair enough he, he, all right he wasn't on the black album so he's not like a multi-billionaire or something that's that's fine that's okay he's he's doing okay um and he's also consistently writing some of the best thrash music still after 40 years he has outlasted Slayer. Him, him alone has outlasted Slayer. Um, yeah. And and his yeah. writing and riff work supersedes James Hetfield in the 21st century. It just does. And and I say that as the biggest James Hetfield fan going. And he should he should be incredibly, incredibly proud of that. And so it, it brings us nicely when we talk to a song like Mission to Mars, which has got that nostalgic feel. Oh. And he makes these references and stuff, which I'll which I'll leave which I'll leave to you to talk about, which is just terrific and a real nod for fans. And the moment you hear the moment you hear it, yeah, you sort oh, of like man. grin and stuff. And I, I, it was a nice moment and and that type of stuff. And he's able to do that because he's got this breadth of a career. I just think it's a great, it's, it's an achievement, it's a celebration of who he is. Well, I think Mission to Mars is my favorite album uh, song on the album. It's got the most intriguing opening on the whole album as well. The kind of understated bass line that props up the clean riff. I think I think it's kind of Mustaine that is inspired best the, the songwriter on this album. His melodious tone goes down really well, and it's is very clever. And you've mentioned you alluded to it before. He keeps the chorus lines really short so he doesn't overstretch himself, but it actually adds to the chorus's impact. Um, there's so the uh, kind of as you can tell by the the name of the song. This song is about like travel to outer space, travel to Mars, and stuff. And there's a radio frequency call that they do that goes back down to like uh, the tower that I'm not going to spoil actually because it's the best moment on the album. It's the, one of the coolest things I've heard Megadeth do in years. And if you're a Megadeth fan, I'm not going to spoil it and tell you what they do, but they do something really, really cool. And after it's done, there is this like really high tempo, 100 mile an hour, four speed rhythm riff that comes back in. And it's so, so cool. The last two minutes of this song are like incredible. Uh, Megadeth fan listening to this, oh, the end of Mission to Mars. It's really amazing, man. Um, I, I couldn't help but just beam, Sam. 
listening to the final two minutes of this, uh, I'm assuming you were relatively similar without spoiling yeah, I, what happens. No, no, abs- absolutely. This album was so good, it made me thankful for like my life and my day listening to this yesterday. I was like, I'm listening to this Megadeth album like before it's coming out and it's sick. And like, how cool is that? Yeah. And like, how cool is that? How cool is the fact that we can still listen to Megadeth records and, and all, all this type of stuff? Um, because as well, because as well, like we talked about this at the top, um, about the circumstances of his life. Um, the chance that he was like still alive making music that's 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 even even out, let alone if it's any good, considering the heroin and the drugs and yeah. the, the, the fallouts and, and the, the cancer and everything else, it's an achievement on its own. But the fact that it's like you can put this album against most other Megadeth albums and it stands up. I think I think this is in the, the top fifty percent of Megadeth albums. Like if you compile the top seven oh, albums, yeah. yeah. it's probably in there. Like I don't want to split hairs and I'll be like yeah. well, is this better than Xbat? Is this better than so far, so good, so what? I, I, fine, we can we can split hairs there. But he's got they've got this is the sixteenth album. It's in the top ten. And it's their sixteenth album. Yeah. So definitely. like but for, to, to be able to be able to do that is is astonishing. And I mentioned this um with Machina, there's a lot of similarities actually, in the sense that perhaps the revolving door of members has prevented the band from becoming stale, has prevented the writing processes from becoming complacent, because Mustaine has to constantly integrate new people and has to constantly be at the top of his game and has to constantly sort of like not prove himself necessarily, because I don't think he needs to prove himself to anybody. But it, you definitely get that feeling where like, there's a new person coming in, I want to be at my best all the time. And I want them to be on a good Megadeth album. Yeah. And, it, and it, he's producing it and writing it and putting it together. So he obviously bears the weight of that responsibility tag. So that very seriously. And maybe if he was sat across some dudes he knew for 35 years, who he could just put anything with. Maybe that, maybe that's almost preventative to, um, to, to, to great, to, to, to great music there's that um there's that famous saying isn't that the good is the enemy of great you know once you get to good you don't yep. really want to push forward to great and and maybe if he was around people that he was super comfortable with he's like well this will do and you know me and david ellison have been writing riffs rages so why wouldn't this be just as good as anything else we've written whereas these new members with again probably younger members um a bit of youth a bit of energy and it's worked out because it's not only is a terrific album it's got it's got a real it's got a real verve and zip to it as well i want to give a specific shout out this has never happened probably in the history of reviews on megadeth albums but dirk for Buren, the drummer has a terrific album yeah. this. It, there's there's, there's, yeah, there's some, moments, some moments where they stop for drum fills i'm like this is wow what, they're allowed to do this like in this band <laughs> yeah. uh, there's 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 a bit there's a bit, there's a bit like do you imagine just david staying whipping around the first time whipping his head around the first time this happened um, yeah, and and there's like there's like drum intros and stuff, so that usually shows that, that he has faith in this group of people. Um, Kiko Loreiro as a as a terrific, as a terrific album. Um, um, oh, working, working, yeah, working alongside working alongside David. They're they're a, they're a great partnership, and we saw this lineup live, sick, and worked worked out worked out tremendously. So when you consider all that, this is um an achievement in and of itself. When you take context, it's a celebration of David Stone's continuing, thankfully, contribution to metal, but also a refreshing trip almost back to a nostalgic era where Megadeth were just one of the best thrash bands ever. Because by the sounds of it, they absolutely still are one of the best thrash bands ever. 
And that is just phenomenal. And you can't say that about any of their contemporaries. Like we talked about this with Machine Head, you just can't. They're not in this world. Um, it's phenomenal. This is this is album of the year contendership for me. Um, probably not probably not top three, but somewhere in that five to nine range. I feel this is really good. I feel like the the best place um for us to to leave off really is the summation that you've just given on the album. I, I think that this is a, a fantastic, a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic achievement for Megadeth. Like you said, if this was a five out of ten. We'd have still been really happy about it because at least with Dave Mustaine is alive and still writing music. We'd be happy with that. Actually, this album's like a, a seven, seven and a half, eight out of ten for me. I think this is a really, really great album. The best thrash album of the year, I can probably already say that. The best thrash album I've heard in a long time. It's probably the best thrash album I've heard since Endgame by Megadeth, which came out in 2009. Endgame. Uh, with really the exception good. of like Pep. Shout. With the exception of with the exception of like Pepper Trip and stuff, uh, I, I think this is great. I'm really really happy for what they've achieved here. This is a brilliant Megadeth album. Megadeth fans should be salivating, ready to hear this album. Specifically, Mission to Mars to cure this thing ever, uh, and I just think this is a fantastic achievement. Brilliant record. Every single uh, member absolutely earns their weight in gold. Especially looks like Dirk Reburen. Again, you wouldn't have especially hear us mention the drummer on the Megadeth album, but his performance is excellent here as well. A uh, brilliant Megadeth album. So happy for them. This is gonna do uh this is gonna do bits, man. Megadeth fans are gonna love this. Completely agree. And that's a perfect place for us to leave off, Sam. Uh, episode 112 of the Noise Podcast, but we are nowhere near done over the next few weeks. For the love of God, we have got uh, Parkway Drive review coming up. We've got Behemoth review coming up and we've got Slipknot review coming up as well. So if you are yet to subscribe or like or follow, depending on whichever service you use, please do that. Uh, now that'd be really helpful for us. Uh, we are going to be back uh, probably within the next 10 days or so reviewing the new Parkway Drive album or as soon as we possibly can. And then we've got Behemoth coming up after that. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast Network. Subscribe on YouTube, like or follow, depending on whichever podcast service you use. Tell your friends, uh, get the word out about us. It's absolutely the best thing you can do to support us. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. Enjoy Megadeth the Sick, the Dead, and the Dying. It is amazing. And we will see you uh, when we review Parkway, when we review Parkway Drive's new album, Darker Still. We love you. Bye. <laughs>